right, are we ready? We are. I think we're finally ready. Yeah. All right. Okay, everybody, and we're back with episode 21, which is the missing episode. So I have to tell you, I don't know if I told you this, Paul, but about 10 people emailed me asking, what happened to episode 21? Did I miss it? What's going on? And I said, well, due to circumstances beyond our control, it went into the ether. Yes, and that's called Paul's fault. That's 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 the other that's the, that's the other way that's of saying it. That's if you look in the Urban Dictionary, that's it's Paul's it's, fault. Paul's fault is what it's yeah. listed under. Yeah. So I thought that it would be fun to just plow ahead and see if anybody would notice, and people noticed. Yeah, well. So, thank you, Kim D from the crazy state of Texas, and uh, a couple of other people who emailed me from from England and France and Germany. They all asked, what happened? Well, you know what? I'm sorry. We're going to have to stop this then because until Japan asks... <laughs> it's not worth we're it. We're not even bothering. All right. We do have some Japan- Japanese fans, yeah. but I don't have to look at the logistics. All right. Not logistics. The something. The something. The something. The things. So, uh, all right. So, here's episode 21. Uh, <laughs> Re- reenactment. Reenacted. <laughs> New and improved. So, song number one is That's Life. And I think everybody thinks that you know who recorded it first, but that's not true. Yeah, that's right. David Lee Roth did not record it first, That is correct. David Lee Roth did not do that originally, nor did Frank Sinatra. The first person to record it was a woman named Marion Montgomery in 1963 on the Reprise label, where Frank Sinatra was. And it was written by Dean Kay and Kelly Gordon. One of Kelly Gordon's first productions was Bobby Gentry's The Ode to Billy Joe, where he took her demo of the song and overdubbed a string arrangement by Jimmy Haskell on it. The song was an immediate hit with nine Grammy Award nominations and 68 and three wins. And uh, Rolling Stone put that song at 419 of the 500 greatest songs of all time. But I digress. You know, it's really great, actually, that Bobby Gentry was such a big Green Day fan. I mean, she's a really, she was a really early supporter. I mean, that's why that's why we have their greatness. I totally now. forgot about that. That's weird. Yeah, you know, you know, that's that's how she let us know about Billy Joe, Joe. in her ode. And, yes. That, okay, I'm sorry. I'm really trying to push. True. I'm really trying to push this joke. Ah, ah, I'm good. pushing it. I'm rolling the rolling the, up the, the rock uphill. Yeah. Sisyphusian feet. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's enough about him. So, Marion Montgomery. Uh, she was also signed to Capitol after being discovered by singer Peggy Lee. Montgomery recorded That's Life, and it was released in 63, but it failed to chart. It just laid there like a fish. Yeah. Like a fish. Like a fish. Like like <laughs> <laughs> we were discussing Marillion before the episode started, and uh, yeah, well, fish. I, yeah. For those of you who know, For those fish. of you who know. Paul once again schooled me because I did not know that the lead singer's name was Fish. And she probably would have been better off not knowing that. But that's okay, though, because the next time some crazy trivia comes up, I'll know. So, the first cover that I have for this song is by O.C. Smith. Oh. Do you know this one? I see. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I just know of O.C. Smith. O.C. Smith. Okay, well, you know of O.C. Smith because he recorded that hit called Little Green Apples. Well, he recorded a lot of really shit like B-level covers like that, you know, and by the time I get to Phoenix and, you know, yeah. probably yesterday and just oh. like all the basic ones that yeah. all the... He's done a million covers. I don't think he wrote a song. Yeah. He's just a singer. And so his name is spelled O-C-I-E. O-C. 
Lee Smith is his real name, but then his his stage name was O. Period C. Period Smith. So uh, his recording of Little Green Apples went to number two on the Billboard Hot 168, sold over a million copies, and uh, his recording of That's Life was overheard by Frank Sinatra on the radio while he was driving his car in 1965, and he said... I'm gonna cover that song. <laughs> I can do a better job than this in my sleep. I can do, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm booking the studio I'm, time right now. Not, right now. Where's Nelson Riddle? And uh, yeah, so cover number two is by Frank Sinatra. Uh, it was 1966 on the That's Life album, and um, yeah, you know, everybody knows this. It's his anthem. It's like the number one right. song that he ever did. Yeah, the Wrecking Crew was on it. Lots of members, including Glenn Campbell. Uh, there were 40 first chair musicians who were assembled for that. And um, it was probably in Studio A with one mic, and, you know, they just did it. Because that's how they did things back then. Um, but there's an L.A. session player, Mike Melvoin. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So for those of you who don't know, that is Lisa Melvoin's father. Performed the Hammond organ on the solo, uh, on the recording. Um, so the O.C. Smith version had proved successful in areas like Detroit and L.A., but it wasn't until Sinatra's cover that it went high in the charts and was released nationally and then internationally. So this song has been covered like 8 million times, and I'm going to spare everybody all of those, but I'll just say that Aretha Franklin did it, The Temptations did it, Shirley Bassey did it, um, and as Paul mentioned, David Lee Roth from Eat em and Smile, and uh, yeah, a bunch of other people. So the third cover was done by James Brown in 1968 from his album, Getting Down To It! <laughs> <laughs> that was his 24th studio album. 20, 24th! It, and that was only 1968! Yeah, I was going to say, and that can't have been a later album. <laughs> How, like, he was releasing records once a week? That's hey man, yeah. crazy. So, um, yeah, the album was released in 69 on King Records. Um, and, of course, James does his, he puts his stink on it by doing his James Brownisms, you know. That's life. Ugh. <laughs> that kind of stuff is right. pretty funny. Uh, you know, and all these things follow the basic arrangement, because how much more are you going to change it unless you make it a reggae song or something? So, um, let's see. Oh, and he, uh, Robert Christigau called James Brown's alba, version of this a ballad album that could scare the shades off of Ray Charles. <laughs> And that's Robert Christigau, everybody. So now we're going to listen to these three tunes and then pick a winner. That's life. Yes, that's what people say. You're riding high in April, then you're shot down in May. I know I'm going to change their little tune. Some people get their kicks Stepping on dreams 
three versions and uh who do you choose paul well i mean come on james brown right of course <laughs> hell no you, <laughs> frank frank gets that shit today tomorrow and the next day and the next day yeah and forever in the future yeah and all those other days you got coming up i agree yeah. although i think i like james brown's version because it's james brown being james brown being doing james, james brown, brown. oc smith's was, uh, I mean, without without having heard Marion's original one, but Frank's is the standard, right? So it doesn't matter who put it out before it or after it. That is the that's the bar, and yeah. everything is not going to sound right unless it sounds exactly like that. Kinda. You just managed to, to record the definitive version, and you just you can't get around it. Around it, that's yeah. it. Yeah, like O.C. Smith did it first, but it's not. And Frank followed that. Uh, arrangement in that version, but it's Frank Sinatra, the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, although I like James Brown. <laughs> Get down to it. Yeah. All right, song number two is Cruisin', and that is a 1979 single written, produced, and recorded by Smokey Robinson for Motown Records' Tamla label. And this was one of his most successful singles outside of his work with the Miracles. Uh, it hit number one on the U.S. Cash Box Top 100, was a major Billboard pop hit, peaking at number four the week of February 2nd, 1980. It was a top five hit on the Soul Chart. Isn't it funny how it was higher on the pop chart than the Soul Chart? Uh, I think well, that means he truly crossed over. Yeah, definitely. This song was co-written by fellow miracle Mary Tarplin. And uh, Cruisin' was an even bigger hit in New Zealand, don't know why. Hitting number one on that country's, uh, well, I guess their 
I guess their pop chart. And, um, yeah, reportedly Robinson had a cold when he recorded the song. <laughs> Which I'm like, you had a cold and that's how you sounded? <laughs> really? Okay. Oh, man. Oh, boy. And this song has been uh, covered by a bunch of people. The second most popular cover was probably done by Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow, which I'm not going to play. Yeah, please, no. Uh, D'Angelo did a good cover of it from uh, his album, uh, you know, D'Angelo, the one with brown sugar on and all that. But the cover that we are going to listen to is a crossover thrash band called Beowulf. Oh, shit. Beowulf. And they covered it <laughs> on their album called Lost My Head, But I'm Back on the Right Track because that's what you do when you're Beowulf. So we're going to listen to these two and uh, pick a winner. <laughs> Baby, let's cruise away from Okay, so uh, <laughs> who's the winner, Paul? <laughs> Beowulf. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Beowulf. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously that was some sort of. Well, I think I said this before. I mean, I, well, I probably said it last time we recorded this. <laughs> yeah. That it's obviously some sort of, uh, uh, you know, they're not serious. Yeah, they can't possibly be serious. Yeah. Because. Uh, like uh, when other bands do this kind of thing and I think oh as I've said before oh they probably were doing it during rehearsal or were jam session and thought let's record it for fun and then they do it and then they actually put it out there but uh, I think I could kind of hear him smiling while he was singing that 
whoever the lead singer of Beowulf is. Yeah, well, nobody would, nobody could hear me smiling when it was playing because I wasn't. <laughs> it was a frown. You, you, could you hear my scowl I when it was playing? I heard your scowl. You, your, your scowl sounded like what's his name from uh, the, the upper crust. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, Count Basie. <laughs> Count Basie. Yeah. That dude. Oh, my God. Upper crust. All right. Song number three. It is Hey Jude. And uh, everybody knows who did the original version. O.C. Smith? Yes, O.C. Smith. He wrote it and recorded it in a lab with guys in lab coats. Actually, I do think he did actually do that song, though. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah he definitely did. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's on the album that... Uh, yeah, the same album. Yeah. yeah. So I've got three covers... The first one is by Wilson Pickett, the second one is by The Temptations, and the third one is by Elvis Presley. So, for those of you who have been living under rocks, Hey Jude was done by The Beatles, and the B-side, do you remember what the B-side was, Paul? Revolution! There you go. Um, It was released as a non-album single in August of 1968. And it was written by Paul, credited to Lennon-McCartney because of their partnership. Uh, It was the Beatles' first release on their Apple label and one of the first four singles by Apple's roster of artists making it uh, the label's public launch. It was a number one hit in many countries around the world and became the year's top-selling single in the UK, here, Australia, and Canada. Its nine-week run at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 tied the all-time record in 1968 for the longest run at the top of the U.S. charts, a record it held for nine years. It has sold approximately eight million copies by itself and is frequently included on music critics' lists of the greatest songs of all time. And everybody knows that Paul McCartney wrote it for Julian Lennon, and it was called Hey Jules because it was about John and Cynthia breaking up because he was with Yoko, yada, yada, yada. Um, But I will also say that it was the first Beatles song to be recorded on an 8-track... Oh, 8-track cartridge, stereo cartridge? Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Uh, Trident Studios studios in London. They had great gum there. Yes, they made gum and records yeah. at Trident Studios. I'm, I'm bringing all the zingers today. <laughs> you would, so. I really wish that you had, you know... A, dr- a, a drummer? <laughs> <laughs> you just had your kids set up in here. Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody knows about that. Blah, blah, blah. So, I found 511 cover versions of this. 511. And there's more than that. Right. Yeah, this is all of Paul McCartney's covers of the song. Of the song, right? So it's O.C. Smith, Tom Jones, Ray Stevens, The Letterman, Teresa Graves, The Brothers Johnson. Brothers Johnson wasted yes. their time on that? The Brothers Johnson, Weird Al, Shirley Bassey, and Marillion. Marillion. <laughs> Marillion. <laughs> yeah, so we'll go with uh, Wilson Pickett. It's... um. It's the name of his ninth studio album, of course, Hey Jude. He named the album Hey Jude. And it was recorded Fame and Muscle Shoals, released in 69. Uh, title track, it was a hit, peaking at 13 on the Billboard R&B singles chart and 23 in the top 200. Uh, he also released, which I'm going to do in another show, uh, he did a cover of Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. You've heard that, right? Fucking awesome. No, I haven't, but uh, it is, it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's a treat. It's hot, yeah. Um, that was less successful. 
Oh, so the big deal about this was that this album is noteworthy for the early appearance of Dwayne Allman, the late founder of the Allman Brothers Band, who made some of his first recordings as a sideman on this record. Because I guess he was just hanging out at Fame Studios, and they were like, pick up a guitar, you hippie. (laughs) And uh, so his guitar work on the title track is credited... Uh, to him that drew Eric Clapton to him because Eric Clapton heard it and he was like who's this Dwayne Allman fellow and two years later invited him to join him as a part of Derek and the Dominoes. Allman's performance on the album also compelled Atlantic Records Jerry Wexler to buy out his recording contract and use him in further Atlantic recording sessions beginning his prolific career as a session musician. Pickett is also backed by members of Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson later credited Allman's performance on this album as the beginning of Southern Rock. Dude, no way. So this was the invention of Southern Rock on that on that cover. How about that? And then I got The Temptations from their album called Puzzle People, which came out in 1969 in September. It's The Temptations covering the Beatles on Puzzle People. Yeah. And then the last cover is by Elvis Presley. It was an off-the-cuff recording from the 69 Memphis Sessions, not really intended for release, except that by 1972, RCA was scraping the bottom of the barrel and dug it up for inclusion on the ironically titled Elvis Now. <laughs> which, and, well, which is kind of funny that they would be scraping the bottom of the barrel in 1972 when Elvis was very much alive. Like, you need some Elvis material? Throw the guy in front in of a studio, fucking mic then. Right? <laughs> hit, hit, hit the record button. Can't he... Yeah. Like, was he that fucked up in 72 that he couldn't stand still and record anything? Yeah, maybe. I get... What? He died in 76, right? 77. 77, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess he couldn't get off the toilet. Anyway, we're going to listen to these and pick a winner. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Start to make it better. Hey, Jude, don't be afraid. You were made to go out and get her. The minute you let her under your skin, then you begin to make it better. Let me go. Take a 
O.C. Smith. Yeah, as always. He wins. As always. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Beatles. Yes. Uh, Wilson Pickett. Okay, he was made it... He gave it some soul, soulful swing. Because how could he not? He's Wilson Pickett. Wilson Pickett. The Temptations. Yeah. Eh. Whatever. Whatever. I mean, really, if I, if I want to be real here, actually, nobody wins. I'm so fucking sick of that song. <laughs> we all lose. Yeah, we, yeah, you know. Yeah. But if I have to choose. Choose, yes, the Beatles. I get it. Uh, well, yeah, The Temptations, like I said before, I think, that um, all Motown acts recorded Beatles songs. Yeah. And Because uh, that's just what you did. Because you were trying to hold on to your career by your fingernails because the Beatles came in and just kicked everybody's ass. But that's the thing I don't understand about that is that there was room for everybody. Like, the, the exactly the last thing they should have done is just started trying to cover Beatles. It's I like, know. I you guys were writing kick-ass songs before. Just keep, keep doing, doing that. that. <laughs> don't stop that. Yeah. Keep writing songs. That's why you were successful. It wasn't because you guys were copying somebody. Right. I don't know. Barry. All right. Song number four is Stairway to Heaven. This might be another time where everybody loses uh everybody knows stairway to heaven right everybody knows that it was done by led zeppelin in 1971 right that it was composed by jimmy page and robert plant from their untitled fourth studio album usually called led zeppelin four because it was their fourth one um this song is often regarded as the most popular rock song of all time which i think is stupid it's not the how, what? It, it, it's the most referred to rock yeah. song of all time, probably more than anything. More than anything. And it was probably played at every junior high dance for a good decade as the last song of the night, the last slow dance. Right. That was at, that happened at my junior high school. My, my memory of it from school was uh, stoner dudes going, you know, man, <laughs> I want Stairway to Heaven to be played at my funeral. <laughs> yeah, when I die, oh I'm gonna have to play Stairway to Heaven at my funeral. It's like, whoa, that's so fuck, deep. that's deep, man. That's totally deep. Yeah, that's so dumb. <laughs> it's deeply dumb. It's deeply dumb because you're gonna be in 65, and you want that to be played at your funeral? Probably. Oh, that's dumb. Um, and you're giving them an awful lot of credit. These are the stoner dudes from my high school. <laughs> They're not going to make it to 65. 65. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. They, they burnt out rather than faded away. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so two things about this song. The sidebar, for people who don't know, over the years, people considered the song's opening guitar arpeggios to bear close resemblance to the 1968 instrumental Taurus by the L.A.-based rock band Spirit. Written by Spirit's guitarist, Randy California. 
Oh, yeah! To California. Uh, in the liner notes to the 96 reissue of Spirit's self-titled debut album, California wrote, and I quote, People always ask me why Stairway to Heaven sounds exactly like Taurus, which was released two years earlier. I know Led Zeppelin also played fresh garbage in their live set. They opened up for us on their first American tour. So, it was a huge lawsuit that went on for centuries, and they lost. Spirit lost. And Led Zeppelin won. Uh, Spirit lawsuit had been unsuccessful. Past earnings due the song, or due in the settlement, were estimated at more than $550 million. That's what they wanted. $550 million. <laughs> wow. <laughs> for that. Um, oh, man. Could you imagine? How are... It's like, I did, Jimmy Page probably doesn't even have that much money. Does he have $100 million? I mean, out of all the money he's made from publishing, from all of those songs, songs. combined, yeah. he hasn't made that much. So how is million. your part in that one, one song, song worth that much? It's an, I, That's the craziest thing yeah. I've ever heard. So they lost, and they'll probably file again. And then the second thing is the backward masking. You know about this? Oh, of course. Of course. Remember, I was a teenager in the 80s. That's right. So, in a January 1982 TV program on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, hosted by Paul Crouch, it was claimed that hidden messages were contained in many popular rock songs through a technique called backmasking. One example of such hidden messages that was prominently cited was in Stairway to Heaven. The alleged message, which occurs during the middle section of the song, if <laughs> if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now, when played backwards, was purported to contain the satanic references, here's to my sweet Satan, the one whose little path would make me sad and whose power is Satan. He'll give you, he'll give you 666. There was a little, stool, a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. Damn. How are you going to get, like, a whole paragraph in that one line? Because people are searching. You know, I actually went through that song backwards once, and I found other stuff. Like, on, on um... You makes me wonder... I played that backwards, and it sounds like he's saying, can't escape doom. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's, it, it isn't clearly that. It's just like you can kind of hear... Here. You know, when somebody's speaking a different language... Right. ...and certain things sound like English words, that's not what they're saying. It's but just it's certain just... sounds together sound like... Yeah. They're sa- you know, it's like that. Really? What, did, what was it again? Uh, you can't escape doom. <laughs> you can't escape doom. That's what it sounded like to me. That's interesting. Well, I never did that because record needles were expensive. <laughs> and uh, I was not... There was a little tool shed where he made us suffer. Sad Satan. <laughs> Satan had a tool shed? So it sounds like you're crying out for help rather than trying to turn people into Satanists. So what's everybody going after Led Zeppelin well, for? Well, <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, following the claims made in the television program, California Assemblyman Phil Phil Wyman, not Bill, but Phil, proposed a state law that would require warning labels on records containing backward masking. In April of 82, the Consumer Protection and Toxic Materials Committee of the California State Assembly held a hearing on backward masking in popular music during which Stairway to Heaven was played backward. During the hearing, William Yarrell, a self-described neuroscientific researcher, claimed that backward messages could be deciphered by the human brain. So my question is this. 
If you're going to put some subliminal message on your record, wouldn't it be buy more of my records? Give me money. Give me money. Give me money. Give me Keep money. shoveling. More give, money. More give money. Give me money. Yeah. Give me money. Number nine. Give me money. Yeah. That's what I would do. Right. I want to make more money. I'm going to hypnotize you into giving me more money. Dumbest thing ever. All right. So now the cover. Dolly Parton. Uh, Dolly Parton. So this is from her album called Halos and Horns from 2002. And is Dolly Parton doing Led Zeppelin? Yeah. Parton recalled being scared to death when she sent it off to Page and Plant. I knew I was walking on sacred ground because it's a classic, she said. But Parton got her approval, and better yet, words of praise from both Plant and Page. I know what you're going to say, Paul, so hold it. <laughs> In an interview at the time, Plant elaborated on his feelings about Parton's take on Stairway. Parton's stamp on the track really jumps out at you beginning around the four-minute mark. You can't buy it, you can't borrow, she sings at 427. You gotta walk it straight and narrow. Parton's offering a straight materialist reading of Plant's lyrics there. Later, when a choir kicks in, the track's production gets really big. Plant says, The thing is, she's not wailing. She's keeping it within the genre, and she's a good singer. As for the departure Parton took with the great almighty dollar and you gotta work to get to heaven lines, Plant didn't hold it against her. Maybe she didn't get the last bit properly, and maybe that's sort of how the idioms have changed so much that maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe that's the way to do it. Okay, now you can say it. What, what was I going to say? You are going to say <laughs> what you said in, in another episode. Like, oh, yeah, of course they're going to like it because they're getting the getting publishing money. money. Yeah. Well, you already, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, see, now that's, and you kind of already mentioned that, the mm -hmm. whole thing. Bring us money, give us money. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I, all day, yeah. Go ahead, They like the dollar it. signs. Yeah, I don't care if, if she farted the song and put it out as long as they're getting money, money I'm sure it's just fine I'm cool with it yeah yeah so well, also because they know it's not really it's not going to make any real waves it's not going to in any way eclipse their version no so it's just going to go out there it's going to be it's going to get attention for a week maybe and that's going to vanish yeah and their bank accounts are going to get a little fatter a little fat maybe it'll take them closer to 550 million dollars that they could pay uh, <laughs> right spirit. you know exactly they have to kind of work up some of that money to, to send over uh <laughs> To Randy California. Randy California's way. Wasn't that the name of that jackass on MTV? What was his name? Oh, uh, Ran Randy the Wet Redwoods. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Redwoods, California, same thing. <laughs> All right, so we're going to listen to both of these and pick a winner. Ha, 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 ha. Ha. <laughs> There's a lady who's sure All that glitters is gold And she's buying the stairway when she gets there she knows If the stores are all closed With a word she can get what she came for And she's buying a stairway Brooke 
There's a songbird who sings Sometimes all of our thoughts are misgiven So, uh, who's the winner here, Paul? Dolly Parton? O.C. Smith. O.C. Smith again. <laughs> he, he wins yep, again. He wins again. Okay. O.C. Smith, o. O. it's o. his Smith. version. It was an experience. It was an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. Okay, okay, I'll say it. Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, yeah. I. Okay, Dolly. Uh, I mean, you know, it's... I, Whatever. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Whatever. I, mean, I you know I like I like Dolly, so I'm not really gonna. Yeah. Uh, I love Dolly Parton. Um, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I'm just I'm not miss. gonna give her any grief over it. No, it's a miss, that, that, and that's fine. I mean, it came out in 2002. I I didn't hear about it in 2002. I don't remember hearing about it at all. Yeah, I so. barely remember hearing about it from the last time we recorded this episode. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. All right, song number five is "Gimme Shelter," and uh, that was recorded by the Rolling Stones. Uh, the opening track to their album Let It Bleed that came out in 1969 and uh, Grill Marcus said at the time the Rolling Stone uh, writer said he praised the song stating that the band has quote never done anything better up until that point I guess Uh, referring to the album or the track referring to the track had they done better prior to that maybe anyway I got two covers of this. Last time I only had one. Now I got two. Grand Funk Railroad. Oh, shit. And Sisters of Mercy. So everybody should know this song. You know, everybody got upset because it talked about Satan. So religious people got mad. And they didn't even have to put it in backwards. Right? They just flat out were like, we're down with Satan. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody knows because Mary Clayton, M-E-R-R-Y... Not M-A-R-Y, M-E-R-R-Y. You will see her name misspelled time and time again. So everybody knows, or maybe you don't, but I'm going to tell you. They called her in the middle of the night to come into the recording studio. She was pregnant. You heard her singing. Her voice cracked. She had a miscarriage after that and uh, blames that session for it, which I don't blame her. And uh, It's all Satan's doing. It's all sa- That's why she's religious now. See? Yeah. Satan. Satan? Um, her name was misspelled on the original release, and it was also listed as M-A-R-Y on the 2002 Let It Bleed remaster CD. All right. Now, Grand Funk Railroad. Have you heard this one? I have. I'm, I have. I More than likely, I have the record. It's probably on one of the first two albums. It's uh, from their 1971 Survival album. Oh, it's from Survival. I do have that album. Uh, I don't remember it, though. Okay. It was released as a single and reached 61 on the Hot 100 chart. Uh, Yeah, I was kind of surprised to hear about this. And then Sisters of Mercy. I knew about this one because it came out when I was in college in 1983 as a 12-inch single. It was a flip side on the Temple of Love 12-inch single. 
and then it was re-released in 92 on uh, Sisters of Mercy's early singles compilation, Some Girls Wander by Mistake. Ooh, so spooky. Um, and it's been on bootlegs and shit like that. So, the Grand Funk Railroad, it's, uh, it's a lot of loud guitars. It's interesting. Like, I'm wondering why they did it. Why do anything? Okay, so we're gonna listen to these and then come back and <laughs> pick a one. Which one is your favorite version, Paul? Well, which one is Satan telling you to choose? Yeah, well, Satan is definitely backing the the, the <laughs> richest of those bands, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Stones for sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's not even a contest. I mean, pretty much that's another one of those tracks where it's just like there's just no reason to cover it. Like, there's no, there isn't even a reason for the Stones to do it again. Like even live, just like you did it. That's, That's that, it. That, that track, that recorded track, is all that needs to exist of that song. Leave it alone. Like, you don't ever have to I mean, even I, Mary Clayton, hats off to her, and she did it on her album. Even that wasn't necessary. Yeah. The, you know. Thank you for mentioning that. I was going to mention she covered it on her own album. But, yeah, I, but, I mean, and I think I agree, honestly, that that is the best Stones track up to that. But, well, not that may be my favorite Stones track, bar none. Of all time? Yeah. I mean, that's be- I, I like that better than some Beatles tracks I mean that's a fucking great track really? better than some Beatles oh wow yeah, yeah. Okay. even better than, than you know my name look up the number oh word <laughs> <laughs> even better than you know Ringo singing Act Naturally no, yeah really um, yeah I mean of course it's the Rolling Stones and that is one of my all time favorite songs period definitely in my top ten of Rolling Stones 
because it's just perfection. You can't like that was magic yeah. in that studio. It's just you can't get any better. You can't. It, yeah, it just it is what it is. Grand Funk Railroad. Eh. It's some. It's generic bell bottom rock. Rock. Thank you. Bell bottom rock. And I do like the Sisters of Mercy version because it came out when I was in college, so I've got a nostalgia thing happening here. But they also did make it their own because what else was it going to sound like? Because that's what the Sisters of Mercy, that's that was them. Ooh. And 5,000 other bands. <laughs> so, I mean, they did exactly the corner of the market on that oh, style. Oh, no, not by any means, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, of course there were a lot. Of, yes, a lot of bands did sound like that, but they, that guy's voice is distinctive from the crowd. I will say that. I don't remember his name, but it is. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rolling Stones win. Uh, that's fine. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. All right, and here's the last song, song number six, which is "Cross-eyed and Painless" by the Talking. But sorry, <clears throat> by Talking Heads. Oh, thank you. Not the Talking Heads. Don't ever say that. David Byrne will hit you. Talking Heads. Uh, It was released in 1980 on the album called Remain in Light, which is one of the best albums ever. Not just theirs, but in general, I think, especially from 1980. That's one of the best 1980s albums ever. And uh, although the single failed to reach on the U.S. main charts, it reached top 20, well, number 20 on the U.S. dance chart to become Talking Heads' highest charting dance single. I don't understand that. This is not a dance song. Unless you're, like, from Senegal or something. (laughs) Because, as I've discussed before, probably, and anybody who knows me, I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, and uh, David Byrne was one of the first people to incorporate African polyrhythms in music, Afrobeat, Afropop, world beat, whatever you want to call it. He was appropriating black music even before Paul Simon. Way before Paul Simon. (laughs) (laughs) Way, way before Paul Simon. And uh, he did a good job of it, but this song is so fucking fast, and it's like, I can only see African people dancing to this in a ceremony of some sort. I, I mean, isn't that their first sort of dancey, sort of funk, funk kind of R and B ish sort of record? Yeah, because I mean, it was random. It was out before "Stop Making Sense" and oh, like sure, that, yeah, that was obviously, definitely but, more dancey. But uh, I mean, I would say that, yeah. I mean, that so that might be that. It could be just because that's kind of the dance is arguably the genre of the album. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, and it was a lot of people. Oh, he was he was rapping. Uh, he was rapping, and he was not rapping. Uh, but it has been said uh, the lyrics dis- well, the lyrics discuss a paranoid and alienated man who feels he is stressed by his urban surroundings. These lyrics are of a common theme for Talking Heads and categorize lead singer David Byrne's writing style. The rhythmic rant in this song: facts are simple and facts are straight, facts are lazy and facts are late, facts are blah 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 blah. So he was obviously influenced by old school rap. Specifically, Curtis blows the brakes. And I read somewhere that Chris France gave David Byrne a copy of the Breaks, and this is probably where he lifted it, that idea. Because, I mean, Curtis blows the Breaks is slower, 
because it uses that good times sample, you know, but sped up, it could be equivalent to what he did in Cross-Eyed and Painless, I think, you know? Wow. You know the breaks. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure I've heard it. Yeah. Um, you know, these are the breaks. Break it up, break it up, break it up, break down. It's like I've got a whole band thing. It's a like go-go. It's a whole thing. But anyhow. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a, it is it's a whole a thing. thing. It's a big whole thing. Because it was like the first rap single to hit. And I remember... The I breaks was, was the first one? Well, I mean, It wasn't like... like a, oh, I was going to say the message, but that, that wasn't the first one. Yeah. Um, it was like the first to go big time mainstream because it got picked up right. by pop charts oh, oh I wanted to say uh, uh, Rapper's Delight Rapper's Delight yeah but Kurt, like for us uh, he was like just a regular MC dude as opposed to being in a posse or whatever mm. but when that song came out I remember it was the first half of that summer I was in Philly before I came up here and it was a song that you heard blasting out of every car radio, everybody's boombox, playing in everybody's houses because everybody had the. It was summertime, and you could not escape it. It was like rapper's delight, like you just could not escape it. It was like '79. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll see. That's the problem. I had my earphones on all '79, <laughs> listening to Kiss Dynasty, so I missed it. <laughs> 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 The whole year, so I didn't yeah, hear anything I just, else. I, sp- I spent that year listening that to Kiss it. Dynasty. Nothing on, else on so. got in. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Um, yeah, and then <clears throat> the cover is by Angelique Kijo, who is like Mother Africa. Uh, you can't escape her. She's brilliant. Singer, songwriter, instrumentalist. And she actually did a cover of the whole album, Remain in Light, not just this one song. She released it in 2018. I'm really impressed that she did the whole album, and I'm not surprised, because uh, it was kind of like reclaiming, you know, the world beat, Afrobeat uh, kind of thing from David Byrne, and uh, it's it's good. I, I like it. And somebody else who covered this song that I avoided was Here Comes Again, Fish. What? The band Fish. Oh, the band Fish. Yes. I, okay, I thought you meant not Fish. Him. No, from not the Mar- dude. From Marillion. Marillion. Uh, no, the band Fish covered it. And like you, I had a morbid curiosity to hear it, but I have not, and I won't. I've avoided it. So let's listen to these two and see who wins. Oh, changing my shape 
goal. Okay, that was 28 seconds. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I love it. Okay. <laughs> so you were saying that you could see rerun dancing to this, right? To, to, the, to the Talking Heads version. To, to Talking Heads version, yeah. Um, so uh, the Angelique Joe version, he lasted 28 seconds, everybody, before he yelled uncle. Yeah, well, I mean, do I have to choose one? <laughs> <laughs> I you mean, that, that's, that's, that's lose-lose there. Cause I, don't, you, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't really like Talking Heads to begin with. There's a couple songs that are okay. I mean, I don't absolutely hate everything, but generally I'm not a Talking Heads guy. Mm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess I would go for Talking Heads out of those two. Two, yeah. But that would be with a gun to my head. Yeah, right. <laughs> two guns, one on two each gun. temple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I get it. And I understand that Talking Heads is not for everybody. I know a lot of people who hate Talking Heads. Uh, I think they're jealous because they didn't think of it first. And David Byrne can be uh, kind of a pain in the neck. Well, think of what first? Singing badly over stolen black music? <laughs> what, did they think, what did he think of first? Uh, basically, yeah. They're mad because they didn't think of that first. But even without the polyrhythmic shit that, that they've done, like their straight-up new wave stuff that they've done, you know, I like. I really enjoy Talking Heads. I I. Yeah, even though I had a personal run-in with David Byrne where he almost ran me over riding his bicycle and I yelled at him and he apologized, um, they're fine. Now, the Angelique Kijo, you know, I am not that steeped in Afro-pop, Afro-beat. I like it. I understand it. I don't listen to it that often. Um, you know, world music in general, I don't like, I'm not, I don't enjoy yeah. As yeah. I, that joke that my friend Simon told me one time, he was like, you know why they call it world music? Why? Because nobody in the world wants to claim it. <laughs> so it just circles around the globe. <laughs> I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I, it, or yeah. it's because whenever I hear it, I think, what in the world? <laughs> what is this? What in the so what world? What in the world is this? Yeah. Who, who in the world listens to this? Yeah. So for me, Talking Heads is the winner. It's a lose-lose for Paul. All right. So that is the end of episode 21, the missing episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking, people. And there it is. So stay tuned for, uh, you know, you listen to this, and then you're going to hear episode uh, 24 after an actual that. proper new an one. actual proper in numerical order episode so that's it thanks for everybody uh, thanks everybody for listening happy motoring Matt Anastasio or whatever? No, they, yeah, you, if, no, they might have gone for the lead singer of uh, Marillion, whose name is Fish. His name is Fish? The fucking guy who sang for Marillion. The original vocalist, yeah. his name was Fish. F-I-S-H. That's what he chose to go by. Fish. Well, I mean, we, we've seen his other choices, too, like his <laughs> musical ones, so I mean, you know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, come on.
How terrible. Fish. So you remember that song? Kaylee. Oh, yeah, yeah. That dude. That was... That motherfucker's name is that Fish. That was Fish. Wow. I think that's the only Marillion song I've heard. Anybody knows other than dorks who like Marillion. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just remember hearing it on the radio. I definitely don't know it, know it. Yeah. It was an There was an MTV video for that. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. For Marillion? Yeah. That's the only, actually, that's the only reason I know the song is because there was an MTV video with, with Fish, you know losing his hair but still having the sides dangling down oh man oh that's a shame yeah Marillion is a shame a doggone shame a doggone shame or as Phil used to refer to them (laughs) Marillion yes he always he insisted on putting a tongue roll Roll in there there. Marillion oh oh, yeah he likes (laughs) Marillion Phil would do that Marillion gotta love Phil (laughs) What does that even mean, Marillion? Uh, who knows? It means shit. <laughs> it means suck. <laughs> it, In it, some language. It, it, there's some, some, some Celtic language. Some it means... Celtic it, language. Me, it, it means shite. It, it means... Shite. It means crap. New ways to suck. <laughs> oh, new and improved progressive, progressive ways to ways suck. Progressive ways to suck, yes. yes. 